been around for a little while. I've been gone. Uh, weird having you there instead of, you've been displaced by the high school students, so I don't know if you guys want to, like, you know, West Side Story it against each other, <laughs> dance off to see you can have this section, but it's up to you. Figure it out. So, um, all right. So if you're a guest this morning, welcome. My name is Jason. I pastor here. If you've been around for a little while, if you've been around for a little while uh, and you've forgotten because we've been gone, I'm Jason. I pastor here. So um, I don't know if anyone, anyone ever got invited over to a friend's house who, who did a trip back when slide projectors were a thing and they went through their slides and showed you. I never did that. We had missionaries come to my church when I was a kid growing up, and they would do the slides and whatever. And I don't know if that was an actual thing. I'm seeing a couple head nods, or if it was just a thing we make fun of. But the the running story for it all is like, great, we're glad you're back. Don't really need to see a lot of pictures. Um, So that said, uh, so this is uh, just a real quick, Jay, where have you and the family been? We missed you. What's going on? Uh, we were in Hawaii for a couple of weeks. Somebody gifted our family tickets and, and the whole nine yards. Uh, if you're wondering how did they do that, we do not have a salary that goes to Hawaii for like that. A total gift for the family and a blessing to us. And so anyway, that's, uh, that's the fam. And... Uh, and then uh, there was this bit where we were at the beach. And so anyway, uh, th- there is a point to this. This isn't just me uh, flexing some pictures <laughs> from, from Hawaii, although I really wanted to put in one of my skate shots because uh, anyway, so ask me about it later. I'll show you on my phone. Um, so anyway, this is, this is, this, there's a fence right here, and every morning we got up and sat at the f- and, and looked out onto the Pacific and we were on Oahu, on the north side of Oahu, where normal people on Hawaii live. And so anyway, this, this, we were on this cove, and, and locals call this the, the Turtle Cove, because, uh, um, well, you'll see in a second, uh, sea turtles uh, every night would come up. And even in the day, this time, it was weird, they hadn't, um, w- would come up and just like, here I am. And so uh, would come out and, and rest and sleep, and it was fun. Uh, super fun. There were four of them that came all the time, and so of course we named them Michelangelo, Donatello, Leonardo, <laughs> and Raphael, right? And um, so anyway, it was fun, and there was a little guy and all of it. And so, but but here's the thing: I don't know if you know this or not, but you can't you whoop, you can't um, touch the sea turtles. They're, you're not allowed. It's actually a felony. They're protected by law um, to touch in the sea turtles. Now I know what you're thinking. I. Uh, and so anyway, you can't touch the sea turtles. <laughs> and uh, so we're here, the, our fence is here, you can look out on there. And there was this lady over here, I actually didn't experience this, but this lady who lives here thinks the beach is hers and, uh, and has a megaphone, for real a megaphone. And so uh, the family experienced her like watching people come up to get a selfie with the turtle um, and you've got to stay 10 feet away, but jokingly, like 10 feet, it's kind of hard to get, you know, a good picture with a turtle, and so 10 feet, uh, and uh, so anyway, so people get close to the turtles, she get her megaphone, stay away from the turtles, stay away from the turtles, and she just, like, oh my word, and the first day we were there, uh, apparently she came out, I wasn't out there, she's lucky, but she came out and yelled at my kids, who were picking up rocks and stuff off the beach. She's like, you can't pick anything up off the beach. It's, it's illegal to take anything from the beach. And so we just left our trash for the rest of the time on the beach because you can't take it. Because it's, no, I'm just kidding. We did not. So anyway, so, but she was the one. She was the protector of the beach. She lived on the corner of the beach and she saw this cove as her thing and she was yelling at people, get off the reef. There's waves and you're going to die. And all of this, and so anyway, the, the beach Nazi, I just labeled her as, and so, but these turtles were amazing. That's Leonardo, there's Donatello, and I forget that, oh no, they're all there, okay. So many, I was 10 feet away, I zoomed in, promise. So, okay. So one morning I was sitting there at, uh, at the fence, uh, having my coffee, and eating my Hawaiian shortbread, which is amazing, and uh, 
uh, thinking deep thoughts about the world and, and about all of you. And, and, uh, and it's funny, on, on the flight out, I thought, I'm going to read through like all of the New Testament while we're there. And I'm going to just do this. And, and, and what I found myself was is in the end of the book of Mark was where my reading was and then in the book of Luke. And I thought, I'll just fly through Luke. We'll do this. And in my own, I made it just a couple chapters into Luke. And it was not for lack of reading, but it was for this slowing down and pondering the things of Luke. And so anyway, one morning I was sitting here reading through Luke and and I noticed the, the, the beach Nazi came out, and she was walking back and forth on the beach kind of slow. And for 15 minutes, I watched her, and 15 minutes turned into 20 minutes. And every once in a while, she'd reach down and pick up some shells, pick up a shell, and then keep going. And my immediate thought was, that's interesting. You can take a shell, but you can't take rocks. I don't know. And... And I was watching her, and, and as I was watching her, I also noticed um, that from either washed up on shore from the night before from tourists that there were just some wrappers and stuff around the beach. Not horrible, but just a couple. And she walked, in looking down, walked right over multiple bits of just little litter, right? And I thought, that is very interesting, that stay away from the turtles, don't take the rocks, and yet walked right over this garbage that was on the beach over and over. So as I was sitting there and thinking deep thoughts and journaling, and I um, thought this would make it into a sermon, this would be great, uh, I noticed from over on this side, which is all uh, lava and reef, uh, this total surfer dude comes walking, like stereotype surfer, that's the one. And so he's walking, he's got a camera, and every couple minutes, and he's just lollygagging, and, and every couple minutes he'd stop and he'd, he'd bend down, he'd take a picture of a little crab, or, in the, or, or he'd stop and was fascinated by a wave break, and so would take pictures across it, whatever. So I was watching him. And, and then in watching him, he made it right about, actually right about to here, and he, and he noticed something on the ground, he bent down and he picked up um, an empty can, of, I don't know what it was, uh, soda. Someone had left, whatever. So he picks up this can. And then um, not too long after that, he was strolling, and he picked up a, a, a spent bottle rocket, because fireworks are, a lot of fireworks out there. So he picks up the spent bottle rocket. And then a second later, picks up a, a candy wrapper. That's interesting. And then when he had these things in his hand, I, you know, I'm just sitting there d- doing deep thoughts with Jason, and, and he, he looked at me, and he, he gave me one of these, like, you know, like, hey. And I'm like, hey, I'm a surfer, too. And he's like, no, you're not. No, and that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and he gave me one of these, hey, and he lifted the stuff, and he, and he was like this. And I'm like, yeah. So then uh, unlocked the gate, went down. He walked over. I took the stuff from him. And then I went up, and I threw it away. Came down, went back to my deep thoughts. And in it struck me the difference between these two people who were both interacting with the beach, having their moment, enjoying the thing. One of them would have said, I love the beach. I love this, and I'm protecting this. The other would have maybe said, I love this, and I'm serving this. And I don't know if you can serve a beach. I don't know. Let's not get too weird. But there's a huge difference between get off my lawn and huh, I can make do something about this, right? Now, uh, full confession, I joined you online uh, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, we were in Hawaii. It was 6 in the morning. That's a tough time to go to church. But I noticed that a little bit of the conversation from both weeks was... What am I here for, and what is the church here for? And so as I was just in my own doing some reading and some study, uh, I found myself again and again coming back to this interesting Sermon on the Mount from Matthew. Luke also records a sermon, but it's not on the Mount. It's often called the Sermon on the Plain. And it's called that because Jesus comes down from the high place and then teaches. 
And so for the next few weeks, we're starting a new sermon series. We're going to be in the book of Luke. Um, and we're, we're going to hover over the teachings of Jesus found in the Sermon on the Plain. Um, but what we're going to do in that is not just focus on the words of Jesus in the sermon. We're going to jump out from the sermon and see where those words link into stories of not just what Jesus taught, but what Jesus fleshed out in interactions with others. See, it's very tempting to take the stories and only do stories and then bend those or, or how does that apply to my life or does my life interact like that? It's also very tempting to just take teachings and just expound on the teachings. Here's a Greek word or here's a thing you didn't know and actually have those two things live in two different worlds. But see, the good news of Jesus is that he not only spoke Uh, good news and gave us this is what it looks like to live completely different and in right relationship with God who you are separated from right now. It's not only that. He also says, uh, not says, he, 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 he lived it out. And had Jesus only done one of those, not both, but one, I don't think he would have got into as big a trouble as he did with the religious leaders. See, you can say things, but if you're not doing stuff with it, you just go, oh, that guy's crazy. Or if you're doing things without saying it, you go, man, that's really weird, and there's no deeper thought underneath it. But when Jesus is doing the things that he's saying, then we're confronted with, there's something to this. And so for the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time in the Sermon on the Plain. And we might do more in Luke. We'll see how that goes. But for right now, anyway, that's, that's where I see this going. If, you, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, these black Bibles would love to have you use. There's a bunch on the cart in the back. There's a couple on the floor around the place. Luke chapter 1 is page 830 if you're using this Bible. Okay? So... If you're using a different Bible, uh, I don't know, somewhere around there, two-thirds of the way in if you're flipping through pages. Uh, Let's see. How are we doing? Oh, we're great. Um, Here we go. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. This is Luke writing. Just as they were handed down to us by those from whom the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Okay, real quick context on this and unpacking a couple ideas in here, and then we're going we're gonna to pivot. So this is the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Gospel being good news, it's, uh, there's four uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Luke is written actually later in uh, kind of history. Some say 70s, some put it into the 80s, some put it into the early first set 100s, I don't know. Uh, but that one I have some issues with because I think they would have talked about the fall of Jerusalem. But anyway, um, so we've got this guy, Luke, and he's writing to somebody named what? Theophilus, right? You got a buddy, Theophilus, right? Yeah, Theophilus. He's crazy. He always does the karaoke. No, none of us have a friend named Theophilus. That's a name that hasn't come out from antiquity. But anyway, that's Theophilus. The thing about Luke, the thing about Theophilus, is these are, um, these are both Greek names. These are both Roman names. These are not either one of these guys Jews. Now Luke, I learned this week, I don't know why I didn't pick up on this. Maybe you knew this, so sorry if it's old hat. Luke is the only non-Jew author in the New Testament. Luke's the only non-Jew. You could, I mean, you could have a debate about Hebrews because we don't know who wrote it, but I don't know if she was a uh, Jew or not a Jew. I like saying that because we don't know who it is. But out of the ones we know who it is, 
Luke is the only who's not a Jew, which is, what does that mean? Big deal. Move along, Jay. It means a lot. It means a lot. See, from go, Luke is an outsider. Luke is an outsider. You ever felt like an outsider? Ever walk into a setting and everybody knows the stories and everybody knows the names and everybody knows what to do and when to stand and when to sit and when to cheer and who to hate and, or whatever, Right? Luke is outside of that. Luke is not one of the 12 disciples. He's, uh, he's actually a physician. Colossians, uh, Paul talks about uh, our good uh, physician, Luke, he says. Um, and so that fills us in on a couple things. He's educated. Luke's Greek is better than any of the other Greek in the New Testament. It's, it's used very well. Luke describes things very differently. In talking about uh, medical things, Luke actually gives us even a little bit, a couple more adverbs when, or adjectives when it comes to like someone having leprosy. Luke uh, gives like a medical way of describing the leprosy. It's very interesting. Or a fever, Luke describes it even with more detail than the other gospel writers. And so who he is comes out in his writing. Um, but... Those are just nerdy things. The thing that's, I think, most striking about Luke being an outsider is that when you are an outsider, you see and hear things differently than those who know what to expect. And so if I say, go, pack, you know, oh, you say, go. Go, pack, go. Or if, you know, whatever, fill in the blank on an insider thing. Um, Luke doesn't have that same automatic place he goes to. For some of you, even walking into church is that you, you feel it. I'm an outsider. They know the songs. They, they, in, in, a, in a very cool way, if you feel like an outsider, especially around faith, Luke is writing for you. Now, you might not know a most excellent Theophilus, but even that detail I love. Because in all of us not knowing a most excellent Theophilus, that allows us to see ourselves as a Theophilus. And so there's a lot of theories on who Luke's writing to and why he's writing. We'll get into that a little down the way. We don't have to unpack all of everything right from go. But, but here's the thing that I love. Luke is not an eyewitness to these things. Luke actually, history tells us that he is a companion of the Apostle Paul. And as Paul's doing missionary journeys, Luke like links up with him and then they become friends and he hears the stories from Paul and he also hears the Jesus stories from others who are in that orbit. And he's changed by them. And so because he's changed by them, he being... Uh, the, the person that he is goes full in on the research of this. And so he talks to eyewitnesses and he talks to servants or those uh, who are uh, um, serving uh, the movement of Jesus. So he's putting that together. Now, he's also putting that together in a time where there's other stories floating and there's other things that have been written and all of that. And so he, we catch this. There's, there's stuff out there. But here's what... I've put together. And so he's carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I, too, decided to write an orderly account for you so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. Now, we're not going to do this too much, but and I'm not a super word guy, and so I might get this wrong, and so maybe just don't even listen to this next smidge. There is a difference between that you might be certain of the things you have been taught and that you might know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. I know this is maybe in the weeds. A thing that is certain is certain regardless of your relationship to it. If you tomorrow woke up and didn't believe in gravity anymore, is your world going to change? No. You're still going to get out of bed and you could jump and believe you can fly. You could sing the song in your head. You could all of the things. You're still going to hit the floor. Why? Because gravity is certain. It's, there is a certainty in gravity. Every time you throw something, there is a scientific 
this, it goes that far at this speed, it diminishes at this rate, it hits the ground at this velocity. It's provable, it's measurable, it's over and over and over and over. It is certain. And you can affect it, you can whatever, but whether or not you believe it does nothing to the certainty of gravity. You being certain of something is dependent on your posture to it, your relationship to it, you believing it or not believing it. You ever been certain of something and then found out it wasn't true? Like for one of the worst examples of this is is having a relationship that you have faith and trust in. You're certain it's safe. And then something happens in there. And you, you feel that of, uh, but wait, this is supposed to be this way. And it's when our relationship to a thing determines whether or not it is certain. That is not the thing having certainty. It is me having certainty in the thing. Jay, you're splitting hairs. Actually, this was multiple days of just pondering this. What does it mean for you to be taught something that is certain. Some of you have grown up in the church. You've been taught things, flannel graph, flannel board, veggie tales, I don't know, however it worked for you. Right now, this morning, kids downstairs are going through stories. If you've grown up in the church, hopefully you've processed through a thing where you've had in your own life going, am I certain of this? Do I believe this? Here, Water City, those questions are safe and, and, and welcome. You're going to freak me out if you're like, hey, Jay, I want to have a cup of coffee, and I've got some questions. And I'm not going to, like, bite my nails all week hoping your question isn't, is there a God or is the Bible real? Bring it. Not because I have some great answer on that, but because that's a really good question. And when I was youth pastoring, every once in a while, we'd have a parent come to me and be like, my kid's starting to question some of, and then it was foundational core things. I was like, that's awesome. (laughs) And they were like, wait, what? I said, that's awesome. First of all, they're doing it now in an environment where they've got peers that they can bounce stuff off of, where you still have kind of a voice in their life, but they're a teenager and you're a parent, so not very much. And, and that is a processing that needs to happen. See, it's one thing to believe something when you're a kid, and it's another thing to believe something as you move through your uh, working into wherever you process where it's, you're owning it for yourself. I mean, it's why we love and cry at the movie Inside Out, right? Oh, the little girl's moving into an adult. It's this natural process. And so it's good and it's important. It's the thing we should do. If you've never done that, I'm not going to push you into it. That's a violence that nobody should have inflicted on them. But on the flip of that, if you find yourself in a place where you're going, I'm just, I'm not sure about this. I'm just, I say this all the time, but I'm going to say it again. I don't know about the flood. I don't know. The dude on the radio that is so certain about it, okay. But, but, but I don't know. I'm not saying it didn't happen or it's not in the story. I'm just saying I don't know. And I don't know when, and I don't know how much, and how big the boat was. I don't care what the attraction in Tennessee looks like. I don't know. I don't know. And see, we've got this idea that if I can convince you of a thing, then you'll never doubt it and you'll never move from it. But the reality is, is that's not the certainty Luke's talking about here. Luke's saying these things are true or real regardless of how you interact with it. And I, for me, that's a very comforting thing. Because this is my job, and I stand up here and, you know, do this thing. But I'm not going to lie. There are times where I just go, I don't know about this. Not as a whole. Was Jesus real? Or, But, man, I don't, I don't know. And nobody comes and takes my pastor card when I do that. And, and hopefully you never get from me some fake it till you make it. Because that's super toxic as it comes to faith. 
but that there is a reassurance. And even I found myself in the past few weeks just soaking in the couple bits uh, in, in the opening pages of the book of Luke. Man, you say there's a certainty in this. What does that mean? What does that mean? So it's interesting. Luke goes from the certainty of this most excellent Theophilus to straight into crazy things. Angels, virgin birth, and yet those are the things that he begins with from saying these things are reality. It's wonderful. So that maybe is an encouragement to you if you find yourself in a place of processing this. Good, you're not alone. Or Jay, I'm not in that boat. I wasn't raised in this. I don't know about this. You could say anything, and I'd go, okay, that must be in there. I don't know. If you find yourself in that space, awesome. Not because we get to mold you and shape you, okay? It's not ever. But awesome in the fact that you don't necessarily fill in the blank on, especially even this story we're going to do today of, oh, I know where that goes, and I know how that ends, and I know, and you have these. And so to you that this stuff is new to, or you're just wondering about, or you're checking out, or whatever, and maybe this certainty, like, hey, you've been talking for 15 minutes, and I don't even know what you're talking about. To you that this is new, there is an invitation to you to come in, and in the same way when you go to a movie and you sit down, and there, there are multiple people who go to see movies, but the ones that I do not like going with, Lucy, are the ones <laughs> who just click on their, oh, that could never happen, and look how bad those special effects are. And, Did I throw you under the bus? Sorry. Okay, that's not you. Okay, too much. Sorry, not Lucy. Uh, uh, but, but you know who you are, those people. Oh, look at this. This is ridiculous. Superman can never do that. Okay, it's a story. Settle down. If this is new to you, I'm not saying click off your brain, but if this is new to you, I'm inviting you to come and sit in the theater and let a story wash over you. And in the letting the story be told and you engaging it, and where do I fit in this story? And that's weird. I'm going to need to ask a question about that. Please do. Um, I invite you to not uh, suspend disbelief, but engage the story. Okay? Okay. Sorry, Luce, that was mean. I shouldn't have done that, but it felt really good. Okay. (laughs) Aren't you glad we're back? Okay. Luke chapter 5. Here we go. Luke chapter 5, page 835, if you've got one of the black Bibles. We're doing great. All right, let's dig in. This is such a great story. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came up carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. So great. So just so we have a real quick visual on this, um, Israel-ish. Sorry, it's pixelated. It was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> here, here's Jerusalem, okay? And all the way up here is where we're, the stories, a lot of the stories of Luke take place. Actually, that's not all the way true. Luke, more than any of the Gospels, talks about Jerusalem. So that's an interesting uh, side note we'll get to later. But anyway, our stories take place up here around the Sea of Galilee, which is weird because it's not a sea, it's a lake, but, you know, ancients. So a lot of new translations call this the Lake or the lake Galilee or the, the lake. <clears throat> and so anyway, if you're just visual, it's not an exact footprint, but I always say this looks a little like Lake Winnebago. And so we've got some of the story here, and a lot of the story takes place up in Menasha and in Nina, 
like the world revolves around Nina, we all know. So, <laughs> if you're from Nina. So, okay. <laughs> so anyway, just visually, it helps me to, and stuff happens in Fondi too, don't feel left out. But Nina, Menasha, High Cliff, Sherwood, like a lot of the story is, is happening up there. And, and that's where we are in, in this story. It actually takes place in Capernaum, which uh, is a fishing village on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, the Lake Galilee. It's kind of a small town, a village. It's, it's uh, bigger than a couple others around it, but it's still kind of small. It's certainly very small compared to Jerusalem. Um, and so in this, we, we saw uh, that Jesus has been doing things, and word is getting out on this. And so people are coming from all around uh, Galilee in Judea, down in Jerusalem, to come up and see what's going on. In the story right before this, Jesus has healed a leper, which on a lot of levels is a really weird thing. It's weird then, it's still weird that uh, leprosy was this disease. It had, there were kind of a couple different things. That it's a skin disease or what we actually think of as leprosy where like it, your, your nerve endings die and you get injured and then parts uh, get injured. And, and Anyway, so Jesus, Jesus touches this leper, heals this leper, which was a thing you weren't allowed to do. It wasn't a thing you were supposed to do. You didn't interact with them. If you had any kind of sickness like this, you stayed away from everyone else, your friends and your family. So, so for Jesus to come do this, it's a really big deal. And word of this gets out. And so Jesus is not only teaching, uh, he's, he's interacting, he's doing his things, and Pharisees and teachers of the law come. And so real quick on Pharisees, uh, a lot of times in the Bible, they're the guys who wear the black hats if this is like the shootout at the OK Corral. They're the bad guys. But see, the thing in their mind is they're not bad guys. In fact, the Pharisees, there's a lot of rules in, uh, in the religion of, of uh, in this world. And there's a lot of things you have to follow and don't do this and do do this and don't do this and don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. And see what the Pharisees did in order to make sure they didn't break a rule, they even elevated the rules. So if a rule was like, don't wear red, I don't think that was one of the rules, but let's say, don't wear red. The Pharisees would go, well, so that you don't accidentally wear red, don't wear pink, don't wear orange, don't wear purple, purple's got red in it, don't wear all of these things. And so this was the law, and they went, let's make this the law. And then we're going to show everybody how good we are at keeping the law. A real one was, um, don't take the Lord's name in vain, right? And it's one of the ten big ones. And so in order to not take the Lord's name in vain, the Pharisees went, uh, we don't, that could mean a lot of things. So don't even say the name of God. Because if you say the name of God, Yahweh, or you might be saying that in a manner of disrespect. So it was that kind of a thing. So the Pharisees, but they see they didn't see themselves as the bad guys. They saw themselves as kind of the, 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 the ones who are holding the line, the conservative of the conservative. Historians say there were maybe about 8,000 Pharisees at this time. And, uh, and so some of them are there, maybe all of them. The memo went out, they all showed up in their Pharisee uniform. Probably not. So this is in Capernaum. It's probably at Peter's house. And a lot of people are there. So people who want to see what's going to happen and people who want to catch Jesus in a trap. And so word gets out that he's doing good things. And so these four guys carry their buddy who's been paralyzed on a mat and try to bring him into the house, but they can't get him in the house. This is so great. I don't know what your mental picture of this is. This is uh, Tissot uh, and there are a lot of renditions of this moment because it so captures the imagination. But this isn't a like they lowered him through the skylight. In the ancient world, a lot of homes were one story, some were two, depending on how much room there was to expand in the in the village or whatever. 
but, but a common feature was having rafters that were close together and then sticks and mud and then, in this case, tiles on top of them. Some historians say that this didn't come into Palestine until later. And so that's evidence that this is a later story added in. But actually, uh, there's now evidence that says that's actually not true. There were, they were there very much before the time of Jesus, have tiled, tiled roof. So anyway, I don't know how you imagine it, maybe a little bit like this, but there's a lot of people there, and they want to see what's going on, and Jesus is doing his thing, and there's people there in the room who want nothing to do with who he is or who people are saying he is. In fact, they want to trip him up. And so then these four guys have come, and we don't know how far they've come from. In my mind, in my imagination, I like to think that they've come from a long way, that they are very invested in this. See, I don't know if you've got these people in your life that if your world goes off the rails, you've got four friends who are going to pick up your mat and carry you somewhere. Hopefully you have that. One of the reasons we get together as a church is to rub shoulders with each other to remind ourselves we are not in this alone. And if you feel isolated or you feel I want to invite you to risk to... Sometimes we are the person on the mat. And there's not a lot of dignity in being lowered down through a roof, is there? So what can I help you with? Do you need anything? Whatever. No, I got this. I'm good. The whole time you're like paralyzed on a mat. Nothing you can do. Others actually are not paralyzed on a mat. And they can do things and just come in and are like, Hey, can you help me with and I need? And Life tip, I'm very good at saying no. But when the need's there and it's a genuine, we will go out of our way. And we could share stories on that together. But sometimes, see, in our culture of you could be right now streaming a way better sermon than this. Funnier, better looking, uh, able to get a tan in Hawaii for five minutes rather than this. Uh, And that's fine and dandy. And some people think they are thriving in their faith, doing it online, whatever. But I want to encourage you. There is so much importance in us getting together like this. Not just because I'm amazing and I'm better in real life. No. (laughs) No. No but because we each bring something to the party. And that doesn't mean it's necessarily easy coming to the party. I'm not downplaying that, but on the flip, you don't party at home. You watch someone else's feed. And that is such sawdust compared to a feast. And so hats off this morning, crew for being together. And if you're online, we'll do this again next week. You can come. But here's the deal. These four brought him, and they didn't really have a plan. And, and I heard one teacher talking about this, and he's like, there's always one guy in the group who's like got an idea but doesn't really follow through, and so tosses out this crazy idea, and then someone else in the group's like, that's a really bad idea. And the others are like already doing it. <laughs> and I don't know where you fit in that mix. But in a group of four, four, I mean, if it were two, you could kind of like, well, maybe they're both introverts and really planning, and I don't know, but like, nope, four, there's somebody in there, like, has already said 29 things, and they're doing it. And I love it. No plan, no whatever, and they get to the house, and they can't get in. Why can't they get in? The house is full. The house is full. Now, there's a lot we can do with this, and really, this is like a three-week sermon, but we only have a couple more minutes. So let's keep going, and then I'm going to circle back to this. Don't let go of the idea that the house is full. So when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And if I was one of the four, I'd be like, time out. (laughs) We didn't, like, tear the roof off so that you could do an altar call. Right? Because we carried him... A mile, two miles, three miles. 
We carried our buddy, and he's walking home. We're not carrying him. We didn't bring him here so you could, like, bless him. We brought him here so that you can redo his life. And if you're what we thought we heard, then that's what, and you're the only one who can do this because he's been on a mat. And so Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because he saw their faith. Now, this is where the uh, uh, snake oil, um, say it, snake oil uh, preachers get into and they, they formulize, they make a formula out of, well, it's the faith of others. And so don't let anyone in your life, if you're praying for something that doesn't have faith because it's the faith of others that Jesus saw and that's how they got, he got healed. Uh, spoiler alert, he gets healed. Okay, first off, time out on that because who's in the room? Pharisees and teachers of the law. So much so, they have to go through the roof to get there. I'm sure not all those Pharisees and the teachers of the law were like, Jesus, we believe you can do anything. No. They were toxic. They were against it. If there's anyone who has no faith, it's somebody who wants to see you fail. And so if you've ever picked up on any teaching that says, if you want to get the healing from God, make sure you eliminate anyone in your life who doesn't have faith for the healing. Are they reading the Bible? Because Jesus is just about to heal this dude. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and said, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Now, pause. Uh, Which is easier for you to say to somebody, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk if they can't walk? Let's be honest. Which is easier for you to say? You're walking downtown, somebody comes up to you, they need some money. Hey, your sins are forgiven, or here's $100. I mean, maybe your world, here's $100, is actually easier. That's not my world. It's way easier. You know, you need 100 bucks. your sins are forgiven. Right? It's way easier to say that. Why? Because there's no tangible measure of it. It's way easier to say things than to do things. And they knew it. But they're actually livid. Why are they so upset that Jesus does this? If you're on the street, you're walking, you just got past the guy who needed the money, now you're continuing on, and you see somebody run a red light right into somebody else. You see it. You're not involved. It's a good day for you. Get a little drama, you're not involved. You see it. And they get out and they're looking and nobody's hurt, so it's okay. We continue on with the story. And they're talking about things and you go, I got this. And you walk up and you're like, hey, hey, guys, guys, we're all in this together. Tell you what, it's forgiven. Don't worry about it. You don't need to report this to your insurance. You don't need to call the police. Guys, it's forgiven. How would that go over? Really awesome. Oh, really? I'm so glad you came here. We needed a mediator. We didn't want to get escalated. No, you have absolutely nothing to say to that situation other than, well, I saw that, and that was interesting. And then you get to retell the story later, and, you know, you don't get to forgive anybody. You don't get to say it's no big deal. You don't whatever. Life tip. This is one of the reasons why so many people, like, turn us off when we stick ourselves into their situations. Well, here's what you do. Really? Because you're invested in this how? Well, because I have all the answers. That isn't at all what's going on here with Jesus. He's not just being religious to fill some space. This guy comes in and he says to them, he says to him, your sins are forgiven. Now, real quick on this, in the first century, uh, it was very common to believe that someone had suffering or sickness because of sin in their life. We see this in the book of Mark. Jesus comes up to some guy, I think he's blind, and his disciples it's not even bad guys it's his disciples and they're like who sinned him or his parents that he was born blind and jesus goes nobody sinned that he was born blind this is so that god's uh glory can be revealed so that god's like you can get the credit and that wasn't just an isolated belief that was actually the belief 
If you have suffering in your life, it's there because you have some sin. You've, you've broken God's law. You've rebelled. You've done what you wanted to do instead of what you knew God wanted to do. Even if it's just as simple as God says, love your, your neighbor, love other people, and you like show hatred toward them, you've sinned. You've broken the law. Now, the only one, sin affects everybody. It affects me. It affects my relationship with you. It, but it ultimately is a break between me and God. Romans 6.26 says, the wages of sin is death. That your paycheck you're going to get when you keep sinning, it's death. And it's not because someone's going to kill you. It's because you have separated yourself from the source of life, God. And the reason they say, whoa, 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 this is blasphemy. I know in our world we're like, hey, you blasphemer or whatever. Like it's just, yo, dog. It's, this is a really big deal. And in fact, according to the law, this, could, this is a capital offense. You could get the chair. So they say, who is this guy speaking blasphemy? Only God can forgive sins. Why? Because when we sin, we sin against God, and he's the one who's wronged. And so the one who's wronged is the only one who can forgive. So when he's saying your sins are forgiven, what's he doing? And him, I'm the one who can forgive sin. Wait, time out. I went to synagogue school. They said you can only, only God does that. And actually, it only happens one time a year in the temple in Jerusalem with the sacrifice and the whole thing, and it's a party, and it's a, what are you doing? And so a couple things in this. One scholar pointed something out to me. I hadn't really even thought about this, but when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and then he goes on to heal him, the Pharisees might even have thought it was trickery because they believed you couldn't be healed until you were forgiven. Now, Good thing this doesn't get taught in our world. Good thing nobody ever says, hey, you've got something going on in your life. There might be some secret sin you need to work out. Jesus comes up to him and he says, dude, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't ask to be forgiven. He doesn't any of those things. But Jesus meets him right at his point of need, which is the big point in this story. It seems like he really could use being unparalyzed in what Jesus does is he starts with forgiveness because that is his deepest need. So in your world, do you believe? Does God know what you really need? Does God know what you really need? First off, are you on his radar? Answer, yes. Second off, you might be asking for something. God, I could use this job. I really want this girl to notice me. I need a promotion. My kids are driving me nuts, whatever. We might be asking for these things. And they might not even be like, could you really help me win the lottery? It's up to $2 billion, God. We'll do good things with that. But regular, normal, God does kind of things. Why isn't he doing this? Why isn't this happening? Why isn't whatever... Do you believe that God really knows what you need? For real. Spoiler, he does. Or good news, he does. So that doesn't mean don't pray for the things because you're not sure if God's going to meet them or not. But if you're in that space of waiting, like go, okay, there must be something else you're doing or there's another, there's a deeper need and I know you're meeting that need. Another question in this is, and this is, this is, why did they have to go in through the roof? Why? Because there was a crowd there, right? And here's the thing, church, and I say this in love and I mostly say this to myself. Am I so excited about being inside the house that I'm not turning around to see who needs to still come in the house? Because that crowd could have made way. There's always room for one more at the table. Some of you grew up in a house that you, your family, you could always add a little bit to the broth and make a little bit more of that stew or that soup or that whatever. There's always something to add to be able to invite in. Right? Some of you, that's your world. 
some of us grew up in a different kind of an environment where it was like, it's, I don't know if we have enough. Listen, church, I'm super excited about this coming year. Every year I, I'm excited about the year, but I just, I, I just, if you want to get a cup of coffee and you've had a rough week and you need to pick me up, invite me to coffee and let's talk about what's coming. Not because I've got some program. I have no idea what we're doing. I don't even know what day small groups are. <laughs> but because I am so just floored with the reality that God wants to use this little community of faith to impact I don't even know. I don't know. And so the thing we can't do is ever go, well, actually, I kind of like my seats. Like, super awesome that you took their seats. I love it. You don't like they took your seats? Suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) Because they're not our seats. And I know that's silly. Nobody's mad about your seat. Or I'm going to get an email. Man, I don't know if I like that song. I wish we would just, I wish Jay would go back to we'd be done at quarter after 11. Those were the good old days. Or, <laughs> is that Norm? Is that, who is that? Okay. All right, that section. You have to stay after class. Or whatever. Let's do this. Let's be people so marked by the grace of God at work in our lives that we are aware of what we have been forgiven of. That we are so excited about that that we want to spill that off onto whoever. Let's be for friends who will just, okay, fine, we're going to tear the roof off of that. Sorry, Peter. We'll help fix it later. (laughs) I'm never going to get upset if something gets broken. Every once in a while, someone will come to me and be like, hey, do you know the window got downstairs got broke? <laughs> okay, let's tape it. Or whatever. I mean, don't break things. <laughs> but they're just things. Let's do whatever we can do to be the people who will bring in. And if you're a people being brought in, awesome. And hey, we're on page 830. Gee, that's so, why would you, that's silly. We do Bible drills so you can know Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, da, da, da. Come to the party. Come to the party. You don't have to have this all figured out. You don't have to have your life together. You don't have to have any of that. Let's not be a church or even in my own heart, a person who won't. Hey, do you need to get in here? So what does it mean to be a people who makes room? What does this mean? Well, it means a couple things. One of the things, and we're going to flesh this out over the course of this, and, and, and there's, there's an invitation, but there's also hopefully a bit of a... a putting a burr under our saddle. Because see, it's so easy to get in a rhythm where we become the target audience and then everything that is said is said in order to more make the target audience happy. And you are not the base of this party. I don't wake up on a day where I'm writing a sermon and go, who can I make happy this morning? Because I really need to make sure they'll volunteer in the nursery or they'll whatever. See, as we throw open the invitation, it's also going to be reminders to us of this isn't about me. And so there's going to be reminders of, listen, you might think you're growing in faith, but if you're not actually serving anywhere, anyone else, That's a ginormous red flag. So high school students and college students and good donors and uh, all of us. 
a mark of maturing, of growth in our faith, is we are serving. It's one of the reasons Pipeline every month has a rhythm of service. It's not just so you can get your credits so you can graduate high school. It's the DNA of who we are as people. Real quick to close. So I was, Rachel was looking at, I told you I'm stealing your story. Uh, was looking at, she's like, oh, good vacation pics. If you don't remember, this is where I spent the last two weeks. Senator <laughs> Jerk. Uh, which we'll be going to next week or next year for our fall retreat. So if it <laughs> starts saving. Uh, um, Rachel told this story. She's like, Sea Turtles in there. I see that. And she's like, Do you want to hear a story about Sea Turtles? I'm like, Yes, I want to hear a Sea Turtle story. And uh, somebody she knows uh, was on a beach and, and there were baby sea turtles like trying to get to the thing. And if you've watched any documentary on sea turtles, you've seen it. Like the little, cute little things going, and then something eats them. You're like, oh, man. There are two little turtles trying to make it, and they just couldn't make it, and the waves came and it pushed them up and all this. And somebody they saw, saw the turtle, picked them both up and threw them in the water. Remember all the way back at the beginning, the signs on the beach, stay 10 feet away, you're not allowed to touch the turtles, it's a felony to touch the turtles. Threw them in the water. You think those two turtles were like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> you're not allowed to touch me. There's signs. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I heard someone say once, and we'll leave with this. Um, Life Church, they put out the Bible app that we can get for free on our phones. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars they've invested in this app. It's one, it's one of the, it was actually one of the first apps in both Android and Apple stores for free. And I remember at the time, got my first smartphone, and I was like, oh, man, this is, I need a Bible app. And I paid 20 bucks to get this one. It was clunky. And so I was like, you know, I do this other one, Bible. You probably have it on your phone. It was free, all the translations were free, all the stuff, like, oh my goodness, Life Church in Middle America does this for free. And one of the core philosophies of ministry for this church, and I've heard, uh, um, can't remember his name right now, sorry. Um, but their pastor said, We will do anything short of sin that others might come to know Jesus. And I just went, I like that. I like that. And so I don't really know where this is going as a church. If you're with us, welcome to the party. I want to challenge and invite you over these weeks as we soak in Luke and move through these stories to come along with us. Bring a journal Write down questions. Let's get together. This might be one of those good series to do a learning circle on at the end of it. But to steal Craig, I can't remember his last name. doesn't matter. As a church, let's be a church that will do anything short of sin that others might know Christ. As a church, we've said and felt led to say, our mission is to help others to find and follow Jesus. So let's be about this. If you're here this morning and this is new to you, we invite you, I invite you to come in. Come and see. See if there is a trustworthiness in these stories. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can get together here as a family. Thank you that we can get together here as friends and as just as a messy church. And God, I know that even last night, some maybe weren't even sure about coming this morning, and here they are. God, I also know we are all at different points in the spectrum of belief and faith. God, I thank you for that. Lord, may we be a church, may we be individuals that are shaped by stepping aside once we're in. Not only stepping aside, but kind of always having an eye on the back of the room to see who needs to come on up. God, help us to be four friends who will go through the uh, difficulty of 
carrying a mat with our buddy on it. And when we see the road blocked, like, okay, I got an idea. God, thank you that at the end of the day, you are a God who knows what our true need is, not just what we feel our need is. God, thank you that you meet us in our places of deepest need. God, continue to solidify decisions that are being made. Lord, we love you even if we don't all the way know what that means. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to end with communion. Every time we get together.